Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. It's Friday, September 23rd, and, yup, the Kickstarter for Encounters is still live. But I can gladly provide an update and announce that it has reached its funding. Actually, it reached its funding before the previous episode, but I had pre-recorded it, not expecting that to happen. So, I guess, just remember to always believe in yourself, people. In all seriousness, I am so grateful and extremely humbled by this entire Kickstarter experience. If you're someone who backed the campaign thus far, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. If you haven't, and might be interested in doing so, remember that the campaign does not close until October 16th, so there's still time to pre-order your copy. Anyway, on to the show. This episode will attempt to continue the theme of games with two spooky tales, both of which are a tad bit obscure, in the sense that they don't blatantly provide explanations to the odd things that take place. The way that they are interpreted, dear listener, is all up to you and your own twisted minds. This first story follows a young boy who explains that his father has the unique job title of archaeologist. Though his father has amassed a large collection of mysterious trinkets over the years, it's not until he stumbles upon an old radio that he realizes there may be more to his father's work than he ever could have imagined. Written by Reddit user Twister22, here is The Radio Game. When I was younger, my father was an archaeologist. At least, that's what he'd have you think. Although, with him constantly being gone, drifting in and out of my life, I'd call him a deadbeat. Now, that's not to say I was not taken care of. His constant expeditions garnered more than their fair share of money. I just wish he was home more often. Most of what he found out exploring the world, he sold for a hefty profit but sometimes he'd keep a souvenir or two. He'd keep them under heavy lock and key in his study. I was never allowed into my father's study. He said it wasn't a place for a child, barely a place for a man. One day, after a long stretch of boredom, I found myself wandering the house and came upon the huge oak doors leading to the inner sanctum of my father's study. I was surprised to find that the door had been left ajar, like my father was in a hurry to get somewhere. Being the curious child I was, I took this opportunity to venture into the one room in our house I had never so much as seen the inside of. Upon opening the doors, I found that it led to a hallway, very dimly lit with candles resting on the walls. They illuminated oil paintings of people I had never seen before. White men dressed in colonial attire 
raising flags of countries I didn't recognize. They were resting atop of what looked to be horses, but they had too many legs and eyes. The fur was too long, and they were much larger than normal horses. Next were the landscapes. The paintings depicted a huge city, about half a second after a nuclear bomb had been dropped. The detail was so realistic, it was as if the building and even the people were being evaporated in real time. I could almost feel the heat of the explosion coming off the painting itself. Once I finally made it into the actual study, I was taken aback by how huge it actually was inside. There were huge glass sculptures that reflected much more light than usual. Skeletal remains of animals I had never seen, with anatomy that didn't even make sense. All manner of artifacts and ancestral runes scattered about the room. It took me a while of scanning to finally find my father's desk. I made my way over to it and started poking around his things. I found mostly stuff about his past digs and discoveries and more about potential buyers. It was odd, though, when I started reading things dated into the future, about discoveries he had yet to make. Ooh, you're a new face, aren't you? A staticky voice came out from behind me. I jumped back, planting myself into the leather recliner and turned to see a small radio resting on a table just behind where I had been snooping. Oh, (laughs) did I frighten you? The voice came through the rough static again. What? Who, Who are you? How are you talking to me through that? I asked in a shaky voice. Now, now, don't you have more important questions you need answers to? Like, where did your father procure all of these, shall we say, abnormalities? The voice said, finally cutting through the heavy static and coming out crisp and clean, almost like a man standing right in front of me, clear as day. I guess, I said, easing into the chair a bit more. Hearing the man's voice clearly seemed to calm me down a bit. It was a smooth voice in a very posh English accent. Well now, there's the spirit. Just as inquisitive as your dear father. A real chip off the old block, I say. The man's voice grew excited. I could hear his smile through the words he spoke. Well, if you want answers, I've got them in spades. However, they're not for the poor. You'll need to pay a hefty price for my words of wisdom. I don't have any money, I said. Well, lucky for you, money isn't all I'm after. No, not at all. What I'm after is the same as you, 
information. Simple knowledge. What could I know that could possibly interest you? Or anyone, for that matter. Now, don't go putting yourself down, lad. You may have more to offer than you realize, the man said. Now, this is how it works. You ask me a question, and I'll answer truthfully, and in as much detail as requested. After I have answered, then it is your turn to answer one of my questions, again, in as much detail as I ask for. However, if you tell me anything short of the truth, I'll be forced to do the same for the rest of our little conversation. The one handicap I can extend to you is that you can get away with telling me one lie at any time, and I won't hold it against you, but I also get one lie. Does that sound fair? Sure, I guess, I said. To me, the game seems simple enough. Just tell the truth, and he would too. I'm sure his questions aren't going to be hard ones, and I really would like to know more about my father's exploits. It seemed like this weird voice in the radio had what I needed. Well, all right then, lad. You can ask me the first question. The joviality in his voice was a bit off-putting. It seemed like he was all too eager to start the game. Like he knew something I didn't. I guess I should ask you your name first, I said. Ah, a practical one I see. You may call me Matthew. As for my question, I shall ask the same of you. My name is Jessup. Alright, um, so how do you know my father? I asked. Ah, right down to the nitty gritty. Well, to put it bluntly, he found me, just like the other exhibits you see scattered about the room. Matthew said flatly. I was getting the impression he did not like the other exhibits. No, maybe he thought he was above them. Do you think your father loves you, Jessup? Matthew asked. I'm his son. Of course he does. I said, a bit taken aback by the question. Do you think he doesn't? I blurted out without thinking. No, my boy, I'm sure he does not, Matthew said quickly back. What? How can you... I stopped myself before I could finish. The handicap to the game was that we could both tell a lie once. This had to be a lie. There's no way he was telling the truth about my father. That means the rest of what he says had to be the flat-out truth. But I had to test out my theory somehow. Did you lie about my father not loving me? I asked. No, lad, I was not lying, he said. So I had two theories before me. 
Either he had been telling the truth this whole time, or he had just used up his one lie trying to deceive me. He could not have lied twice, so I'm guessing he was actually lying now. Matthew must have noticed that I was thinking hard. Look, lad, I've played this game with more people than I could count. My advice is to not overthink it and just ask and answer as best as you can, Matthew said. Now, lad, what did you dream about last night? I had to think about it for a moment before remembering. I don't usually have dreams, but when I do, I can almost never remember them. However, the one I had last night, well, suffice to say, I wasn't going to forget anytime soon. I was in my mom's lap on a bus, headed to our favorite museum. I always begged her to take me there when she and I spent time together. I remember looking up at her smiling face and she kissed me on my forehead. Then all of a sudden the bus got real bumpy and my mom held on to me tight. Then I felt weightless, like we were flying. Then a loud crash, the sound of a thousand windows breaking at once and the smell of iron. I could still feel the grip my mother had on me well after the sirens came and they dragged me out of the wreck. The last thing I saw was my father clawing past first responders trying to get to the wreck, wailing and screaming all the while. I could feel the hot tears brimming on my eyes as I recalled the nightmare. I could feel my chest tighten and my breath quicken. I had to remember what I was taught in these situations. Just breathe. Focus on your breathing, Jessup. Where are you, really? I asked, still in a panic. Well, you can't see me with your own eyes. I'm right here before you in this very room. I am in essence this very radio. Nothing more, nothing less. Matthew stated. Was your mother's death your fault, Jessup? Of course not, I yelled back. I could see a faint figure appear out behind the radio. The slightest silhouette of a man, just beyond what my sense of sight could make out. <laughs> no need to get all riled up, lad. It's just a harmless question, Matthew jested. I could almost make out a faint smile on the figure behind the radio. Why would you ask something so ridiculous? I barked back. Well, your father does. That's why he doesn't love you, Matthew said. That's a lie. My father does love me, I yelled. I could see the figure growing more clear and material as the conversation went on. Is that why he's never around? 
because he loves you so much? Matthew said in a condescending tone. That's not it. He's only gone because his work is always calling him. He has too much on his plate. I wasn't about to believe his lies. Ah, I see. So his work is more important than his only son. The way I see it, you're just a reminder of the love he lost protecting you. Matthew quipped back. All the while, the figure in the back looked almost as real as any other person. His features were no longer obscured by immaterial mist and transparency. He was a tall, white man with a huge mustache. Dressed in the same colonial getup I saw in those paintings in the hallway. He looked down on me with that same smirk I had felt he had from the beginning. You're... you're wrong! I was cut off by a hand clasping my mouth shut tight. I could see the amusement and pride fall from his eyes as he glared just over my shoulder. Then he began to fade away. You should really keep your door locked, Jeffrey, Matthew said before fading away entirely. The room was filled with soft static once more, and I could feel the tight hand over my mouth loosen. I turned around and saw my father. He looked frightened and was breathing heavily. Dad, who was that? I asked. I'm sorry, son. I slipped up. In all these years, I always bested him. But I made a mistake and he got to me. I put you in danger. And I promise I won't ever do that again. My father pulled me in for a deep hug, and I could feel his tears falling onto the back of my neck. I love you, Jessup. This next story comes from an author who has become a friend to the show, Blake Blizzard. If you remember, he was the one who wrote the story in episode 37. If you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend you do. While that one was about a board game with a particularly odd set of rules and consequences, this next story is about a party that also has a set of odd rules. Without any further ado, here is I RSVP'd for a party with strange rules. Please click yes or no. Looking at the cursor on my screen disappear and reappear, I finally snap back to reality, seeing exactly what email I just opened. The email was titled, Welcome to the Neighborhood. Feeling somewhat uneasy receiving this email, I continued reading. I did just move into my new home about three weeks ago. I had no ties to this area, no family, no friends. 
I'm something of a solitary person, anyway, and very few people knew I had moved. The house I found was an absolute steal, so I moved on it quickly. The email was sent from the Klaus Group, whatever that was. Still uneasy, but intrigued, I continued on. Welcome, neighbor. We have a great community, and we'd like to welcome you with open arms. We plan this yearly party for our new homeowners, and we hope you accept our invitation. Everything will be provided free of charge. We just ask that you RSVP at the end of this message. Please read the rules carefully. Hope to see you soon. I immediately thought there's no chance I would be going to this weird, eyes-wide-shut party. But the more I thought about it, I figured it couldn't hurt to at least read the rest of the email and see what the rules were. I should try to be more social anyway. It might be good for me. Location Sycamore Drive Street number 1001 Date August 13th Time 1700 hours to 0100 hours Please go over, review, and accept the rules of our engagement. Rule number one. When you arrive, please knock three times. Do not use the door knocker. Rule number two. When you are greeted, please check your coat and phone. Do not leave them in your vehicle. Rule number three. If you see a well-dressed man sitting in a wooden chair when you enter, do not come in. Politely excuse yourself. Walk around the block and attempt to enter again. He should be gone. Rule number four. If you are offered a blue drink, you must take it. You are allowed to drink and eat whatever you like, but do not refuse the blue drink if it is offered. There is a chance you will not be offered anything. Rule number five. Do not enter any closed doors, including the bathroom, which will be marked. Wait until the door is open. Rule number six. You are to be off the premises by zero hundred and five hours. Rule number seven. Have fun and enjoy yourself. This has got to be some kind of prank. Never have I heard such ridiculous rules, even when I was going to frat parties in college. Curiosity was overcoming me, though, and without any more thought, I clicked yes. I figured there would be a chance this would all be horseshit, but if it was real, I wanted to see. Well, see you on the 13th. I guess I should have checked the calendar. That day fell on a Friday. When I googled the address, I found that it wasn't too far from me at all. 
I decided on walking there. I have been taking walks around the neighborhood since I moved in. I like the time to think, and also it's a great way for me to learn the area. I must have walked by this house many times, but have no memory of the building I was now looking at. The house looked like it was at least three stories. There was a gate around the property, real out of place from the rest of the mostly ranch-style homes in this area. I knocked three times as the rule stated, feeling silly but doing it anyway. I was greeted by a tall, skinny man wearing a suit that had stripes on it. As soon as the door opened, I had a panicked thought, almost forgetting to scan the area and make sure that no one was sitting in a wooden chair. I didn't see anyone. It was at this time that I decided this was just a fun little party, and the rules were mostly an icebreaker to welcome new residents to the neighborhood. I figured it was some kind of welcome committee, and this was their thing. Relaxing a bit, I decided to grab a little pig in a blanket and a beer. Stella on tap. Good stuff at this party. The decor was absolutely stunning. Every piece of furniture was oak or maple, and heavy at that. As soon as I finished my beer, a lady in a black dress quietly entered my vision. House drink, sir? Oh, no thank- I noticed it was a martini glass, full of an unknown blue liquid. I hesitated and took the drink. Thank you, I said. She just smiled with a closed mouth, took my empty drink, and walked off. Okay, so now I'm following all their goofy rules, but it never said that I had to drink it. I accepted it, and hopefully that was enough. I don't fully trust this blue drink. Looking around, I quickly put the glass down near a garbage can. I shook off the blue drink issue, still still believing they were playing up the whole rules thing they sent in the email. I wanted to get back to exploring this very nice home. What kind of place was this? There must have been about a hundred people on the main floor. Like I said, this place is big. It almost feels like it shouldn't be this big inside compared to how the outside appears. No one really seems to be dressed in any particular way. The servers can't be identified by anything. For all I know, the servers and bartenders could just be guests or part of whatever group puts this on. They are certainly not a professional catering company. When I was done exploring the bottom level, I made my way back to the entrance. When you enter this home, there are two stunning staircases, again made out of stained wood, leading to the second floor. It seemed okay to venture, so I made my way up. The second floor can only be described as off. 
There are rooms on each side of the stairways. Most are closed. Most of the biggest residential homes I've been to don't have more than five or six bedrooms. These two hallways looked like they went on for some distance. My bladder kicked me out of nowhere, and I suddenly realized I had to utilize the restroom. Not wanting to waste my time looking for the facilities, I politely stopped a gentleman in a fiery red dress shirt, complimented by blood-red pants. Hey man, can you point me in the direction of your restroom? Gotta take care of some business, you know? The man smirked and stared at me for what felt like way too long. End of the hallway, sir. Last door on the left. Strange that a bathroom for guests would be on the second floor, but I didn't care. I was going to need to use it quicker than I thought. The bathroom was marked with a neon light. It reminded me of an exit sign. I reached for the doorknob, but then reflexively yanked my arm back, remembering the rules about not going into closed doors, even the bathroom. Okay, I told myself, you're getting too crazy about these dumb rules. Just open the door and... As I was in mid-thought, the door slowly opened. What the f... Just then, the light turned on as well. Staring inside cautiously, I placed one foot inside the room. It looked like any bathroom you'd ever been in. I relieved myself quickly as I could and got the hell out of there. Yes, I still washed my hands. You know what? I think I've had enough. I made my way toward the staircase, which felt like it took longer to find than it should have. At this point, a thought entered my mind. Why has no one tried to converse with me, or even see why I'm here? There doesn't seem to be a host, or any signage of what group is putting this party on. Come to think of it, I don't know if I noticed anyone talking to each other. My thoughts ceased when I reached the stairs. Looking down towards the front door, a well-dressed gentleman was seated about ten feet away from it. He wore a tweed-looking jacket with a fedora that matched. My heart sank. Three loud knocks made me almost jump out of my skin and almost made me fall down the stairs. No one answered the door. Shortly after, it opened on its own. A young woman entered. My eyes darted from her to the man who was sitting down. Please don't come any further, I said to myself. My heart was now racing, but I couldn't move. Before I knew what happened, two men in dark suits took the woman and ushered her out of sight. 
I wasn't sure what to do. I quietly, but quickly, made my way down the stairs. My plan was to abort this mission as soon as possible. Eyes focused on the door. I was one step away from freedom. When the same woman in the black dress from earlier blocked my exit. A blue drink was resting on a serving plate, held out between us. Would you like another drink, sir? I noticed you didn't finish the first one. Trying to hide my unease, I took the drink. Um, yes, thank you. Sorry, I must have, uh, forgotten. No problem, sir. Are you enjoying yourself? Remember, that is also one of the rules. Yes, I said, trying to keep my composure. I've been having a wonderful time. Good. With that, she hurried away. I swear, as soon as she left my sight, I heard a muffled scream in the distance, accompanied with a door slamming. Not remembering any more rules I could mess up, I continued to the front door. I noticed something else before I left. No one was moving. There was no sound. Thank you for the invitation, I stupidly said out loud. What the hell was I thinking? As an afterthought, I checked my watch. The time was just after midnight. Damn, that is too close. I have to get out of here now. Fully expecting the door to be locked, I closed my eyes and prayed it wasn't. With a simple turn, the doorknob released the door from its hinges. A huge breath of relief escaped my lungs, and I was back to the street, walking as quickly as I possibly could. I didn't think running would be such a good look. About 20 minutes later, I was home. I locked the door and engaged the deadbolt. I did that thing in the movies where they placed their back to the door and slowly slid down to the floor. I can't tell you how relieved I was to be home. Hopefully this was all just a strange dream and none of it actually happened. I decided to take a hot shower and change. I felt a little better about the night, but not for long. As I passed my computer, I saw I had a little letter icon in the lower right-hand corner, indicating I had received a new email. Fighting the urge to throw up, I slowly made my way to the computer and opened my email account. The subject line read, Thank you for coming. Oh, God, what the hell is this? I clicked open the email. Greetings from the Klaus Group. We hope you enjoyed yourself, and we thank you again for accepting our invitation. We also appreciate your propensity for following the rules. So many fail to do so. We'd ask that you maintain discretion about what you saw tonight 
as this experience is for members only. The Klaus Group is thankful for your future participation in our rituals. A member will be contacting you shortly. Have a wonderful night. I stared at the glowing screen in shock. I don't know what I just read, or what any of this meant. As I was attempting to understand this email, I was interrupted by three loud knocks at my door. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. If you're interested in learning more about either of the authors, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. Thank you again to Blake Blizzard, aka Leo of Alexandria on Reddit, for helping out with the very specific theme I've been striving for with these game-centered episodes. Shameless plug time, everybody. Number one, I want to say again that Encounters, the cryptid hunting game, is still on Kickstarter until October 16th. Link in the show notes. Number two, since the next episode will be the last one to go live during the life of the Kickstarter campaign, I will be writing an original story that takes place in the world of Encounters, so keep an eye out for that. And number three, I've mentioned it before, but I'll be heading to a haunted cemetery with some friends very soon to play Encounters, and we're going to document the whole thing. If you're listening to this on YouTube and you're already subscribed, keep an eye out. If you're not, and want to see what nonsense we get ourselves into, be sure to go subscribe now. Okay, those are all my plugs. For now, of course. Until next time, everybody. This is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.